Doobie how it is. Game of a gamer or life of a gamer boy. Game of a gamer boy. <laughs> Game of a lifer boy. <laughs> it is the life of a gamer boy, and this is the Gems of History podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. We are back with another conspiracy episode today. It's going to be a fun, eerie, spooky episode. Ooh. Very excited. We're finally getting away from either serious stuff, like the Ruby Ridge episodes, or a war that was kind of like... Yeah, it was a neat, neat little tie. <laughs> Talking about literally the basis for what is wrong with the American society today. Yeah, we really dove deep. <laughs> yeah, but today we're going to get into the real, real stuff. We're going to dig into the darkest subject matter, and no, we're not. I'm lying. <laughs> but we are going to have a fun time, and I'm your host, Jacob Shop, and here to have a fun time with me today, I have Evan Roosh. Howdy. And Marshall Mattis. <gasps> Howdy. <laughs> you guys panicked. have been playing too much Red Dead too. Yeah, yeah, far yeah. too much Red Dead too. Hell yeah. I love that not. game. Great game. Are we just is this the it's debut just... of our video game podcast? <laughs> sure. <laughs> and I'm yeah. here. Hell yeah. And now they'll talk for a half hour on why Red Dead 2 is fun. So first and foremost, the voice acting. Woo! It's like Cheaters. you're watching a cinematic masterpiece directed by Clint Eastwood, Burt Reynolds, and somehow Steven Spielberg. <laughs> So there's just like random explosions and stuff. Yep, just makes you want to throw in a bomb of tobacco and <laughs> yeah. use a six shooter. Honestly, that was a pretty accurate, like those three directors. That was pretty accurate. Thanks. Actually, it's kind of, I just thought of the manliest men of all time, and there you go. Yeah. Hell and yeah. you didn't think of me? Well, I mean. And my pink rosy cheeks. No. Nah, <laughs> I can't let, like, let your confidence get too big. Then you just that's, leave me in the basement true. all alone. How are you boys today? Pretty good. Um, I mean, just got back from vacation, as Same. did you, in lovely little Florida, and actually have a vacation coming up this weekend. So It's not little, though. It's not little Florida. It's big Florida. It's Florida. big old Florida. Florida is huge. Yeah, it is kind of nice. Because I was like, ah, oh, Evan's not that far away. Maybe we could come hang out like for a day. And <laughs> I was like, oh, it's like three hours. <laughs> yeah. Three hours. <laughs> I was in Clearwater, Florida, and Jacob was in Naples, Florida, and I'm the... Excuse me, on the map, it doesn't look no. that far, but then you put in the driving, it's three and a half hours, three yeah. hours. Right. It's huge. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, Marshall, you're going on a trip soon. Hell yeah, Vegas. Go for, gamble. For, I think, five nights. Oof. It's going to be... During March Madness, too. Yeah. Like, I would lose all of my money. Ooh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. But, like, back to the, the gamer life, the first thing I thought of when I heard we're going to Las Vegas, I was like... Fallout New Vegas. We're going to see Fallout New Vegas areas. So Absolutely. we actually are doing that one day. So Heck that'll, yeah. be, that'll be awesome. I mean, one of the best video games of all time. It is the best video game of all time. And it'll save Fair. you some money in the casino. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, speaking of long drives, too. They're going to be like, speaking of casinos. <laughs> oh, no. no, speaking of long drives, we're we're taking a day trip to the Grand Canyon. Which is Hell yeah. four hours there and four hours back, so that'll be fun. And Grand four Canyon's hours really actually cool. looking at it. Yeah, you honestly could. Like, yeah, when you go, you drive in, and there's like different lookout points for like miles down that you can go look out at the Grand Canyon from. So if you wanted to spend like the entire day there, you could easily. It's I think cool. we went to the Grand Canyon as a family when I was 
six, something like that. And apparently I just like complained the whole time. <laughs> I what just about made it? it. It's just a big trench. I was wearing like, I had a bowl cut first and foremost. Nice. I was wearing it and one t-shirt. So you were styling. Profiling. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently it just made my parents' life hell. <laughs> <laughs> Why did we bring this bowl cut in menace? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, to the trip or into the world? That's... <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. These are the questions. Right. You know what I got questions about? <laughs> the Montauk Project. Yes, <laughs> the Montauk Project. Which is what the subject of our, our episode today will be. And oh boy, is it a, a big smorgasbord conspiracy episode. It, I mean, has a little bit of everything for that sci-fi uh, lover in you. A little bit of time travel, a little bit of aliens, a little bit of invisibility cloak it's, it's like mk ultra light but with a lot of other stuff added on to it that is a solid that's like <laughs> it that's... literally has like everything a conspiracy needs is that a new beer mk ultra light yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes it's terrible but anyways the uh the montauk project is definitely a a fun story i think if you if you don't take it too seriously but this is actually a, a listener request i believe my buddy Ty told me about this one, and so I found a book on it, listened to uh, an old Coast to Coast AM episode, as I am wont to do, and yeah, I kind of just lost my mind again trying to study <laughs> conspiracy theory, which is always a good time, and Marshall seems to always be here for the conspiracy oh, yeah. theories. I am, I am for it. I love them. <laughs> They're awesome. so fun. It is kind of hilarious, just like whenever I do research, it's usually I'm a like a pretty well-known thing, like the War of 1812. There's like actual research. Actual things to research. But when you do stuff like this, I can't imagine you trying to take notes. and Page 9 of Google or something like right, that. Right, you're something like the dark web oh, somehow. You found the dark web. I, I watched a two-hour documentary on YouTube called The Montauk Chronicles for this. And the whole thing's on YouTube. And the, the guy who made the documentary like does a little intro for it and uploaded it himself and stuff. But there's like a 10-minute scene of what's supposed to be an acid trip, I think. <laughs> and it's literally just this woman wearing like this devil nurse mask, like like going in this guy's face and making weird noises and stuff. So I had that on in the background while I was taking notes for this episode. <laughs> so I was in a I was in a whole like headspace doing this. You just had a quick like, did I take acid? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, am I tripping now or is this actually happening? And I know Evan's got some notes that we will get into as well on actual things. So that'll be fun. Yeah. We'll, you're we'll going to break up the story a little bit. Yeah. You're going to have a couple minutes of me trying to explain the uh, Einstein's theory of relativity. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Boy. Yeah. I tried. I was going to look up the unified field theory and try and figure out what that was. But I just decided I'm not going to hurt my brain anymore <laughs> than I already did. So shall we get into the Montauk project? Let's ride. Let's do it. So Montauk is a small village at the east end of Long Island in New York and is normally known for its beaches and fishing and also houses six state parks. But what is now a popular fishing destination used to be the location of a U.S. Army base disguised as a sleepy seaside town. It was supposedly shut down after the war, but according to some, it was active for decades after and housed extensive caches of technology used for nefarious yet amazing scientific breakthroughs. From time travel to mind control, the Montauk Project was in charge of hundreds of supposed tests that sound like science fiction even today. 
If the claims of people like Preston Nichols are true, then this would be one of the best-kept secrets in the history of the world. Even Nikola Tesla was involved in an early stage of the project. This is a real conspiracy all-star game, but it's up to each person to decide for themselves if they want to believe it or not. But whether it happened or not, it did influence pop culture enough that it became the main storyline for the Netflix series Stranger Things. But what follows is the supposedly true story of the Montauk Project's history, according to Preston Nichols and others who claim to have been a part of the events. So, before we even get into the Montauk Project, we have to dive into a different thing that's also very dubious and has not a lot of evidence to back it up, but has gotten a lot of mainstream attention (laughs) since the 80s, called the Philadelphia Experiment. We have to go back to World War II for this. And the precursor to the Montauk Project, known as the Philadelphia Experiment, and probably, well, it'll probably be its own episode in the future, but we're just going to give you a brief summary of what it is today. And during World War II, the military was pretty much looking into ways for making ships' radar invisible, because the war with the European Axis powers was getting pretty intense on the seas, so they were trying to find any way that they could avoid the U-boats and the uh, magnetic mines that they had laid. So their idea was they wanted to pretty much just make ships radar invisible. But instead of making their ships only radar invisible, the project, known as the Philadelphia Experiment, made the entire ship invisible. They ran this test a couple times, once without anyone on board, and then decided to make their own ship, known as the USS Eldridge, just specifically for this project. And the second time, they ran the tests with human subjects on board. Once again, the ship, it became invisible, but it left behind a green fog cloud. So there's just a giant fart cloud sitting there in the middle of the ocean. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Once the ship reappeared, the men on board were going insane and having mental breakdowns. So the people in charge were like, Whoever's in charge of this project, we are getting rid of you, and we're putting in a new guy whose name was John von Neumann, or Neumann, as Preston Nichols says in Coast to Coast. I don't know how you say it, but it's spelled Neumann, so we're going to say Neumann. Neumann. But he is German, so maybe it is Neumann. I don't know. But he was tasked with figuring out a way to make the ship invisible without making the men on board lose their minds, which is kind of important, you would think. And so, on August 12th, 1943, there was a final test run. Supposedly, the ship was once again becoming invisible. However, this time, there was a bright flash of light, and the ship disappeared entirely. And it reappeared at a different port in Virginia, and then reappeared back in the Philadelphia Naval Yard. Afterwards, the men on board were once again going insane. And not only that, but some of the men were literally fused to the steel of the ship, that is literally the worst. That is a rough day. Like, I'll take kind of losing my mind a little bit. I can live with that. Like, literally, you can live with that. <laughs> yeah, I don't th- but just being, can you imagine just your buddies are walking by on the ship and they just hear, <laughs> oh, there's just a hand, like, yeah, flapping around. There's, yeah, a hand and then just, like, a face embedded in some steel on the uh, side of a ship. Yeah, I, I, that is the definition of I did not sign up for this. Oh, gosh. They were probably, like, if this is an actual thing that happened, these sailors or soldiers were probably 
just promised, yeah, you just have to sail around on this little boat. You'll get some extra R&R. You'll get some leave <laughs> days. The people that did it last time totally didn't go insane. It's fine. Yeah. Oh, to bring up Pirates of the Caribbean again <laughs> reminds me of Davy Jones. Like the ship where they're all like a part of the ship. Oh, part, a part of the, the ship. ship. Part yeah. of the crew. <laughs> no, like they're literally, you know, uh, Orlando Bloom's dad comes out yep. of the freaking wall. Bootstrap yep. Bill. Yeah. Literally, like, one of them moved forward and their brain was just still in the ship hull. Yeah, that's yeah. what I imagine. Except uh, these guys could not get out of the oof. ship, so they were kind of stuck. What do you even, like, do you have a few, do they do a burial at sea? I don't know. <laughs> Viking funeral. A Viking funeral, yeah. So, after this, John von Neumann was summoned to help with the Manhattan Project and kind of just went away for that and said, you guys can deal with the rest of this. And supposedly, when the ship had teleported, it ripped a hole in space-time. And that's how this project would become intertwined with the Montauk project 40 years in the future. So that's pretty much the basis for where a lot of the Montauk project came from, was pretty much trying to figure out what happened to the people on board when all of this went down. And a way they wanted to find a way that they could harness the power they were using but also make sure that it wasn't affecting the people. Right, and some of the sailors even went missing, like not even part of the, just being part part of the ship, part of the crew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, like, they thought, well, there has to be a way to find them. Yeah, and so there's, like, this was kind of a rescue effort, but not really. They didn't really care that much that these people were gone. It was more so just, like, we want to use this for our advantage in, mm-hmm. like, this war and future wars. So let's figure out how to do it without killing our own men. You think that'd be step one? <laughs> that should be check one on the board. Mm-hmm. So, who is Preston Nichols and how did he get involved, you ask? Well, Preston Nichols himself is an electrical engineer from New York. He went to the University of Tampa and, after getting his degree, went to the Polytechnic Institute of New York and became a specialist in electromagnetic phenomena and worked for different defense contractors in Long Island. I I thought I heard from my minimal research that that he said he got that degree from Tampa, but that was never confirmed. Probably I not. I I did not do any background research right. other than what he said on Coast to Coast and what it said in the book. So we'll see. Uh, oh, yeah. The book that I used was The Montauk Project Experiments in Time by Preston B. Nichols. And it's the first of a series of five books. And <laughs> the books start off as nonfiction. And by the end, they're categorized as fiction. So... <laughs> Yeah, interesting the, how that works. Yeah, at the end he just really sent it. Yeah, I guess he just got even wilder. Mm-hmm. But during the period where he was working for defense contractors, he became interested in the study of telepathy and found that supposedly telepathy was real, and that the the way it worked was kind of similar to the transmission patterns of radio waves. So it was kind of like electromagnetic signals that he found while studying this phenomena. Uh, In 1974, he found that people in the area were experiencing a strange phenomena every day for an hour where their minds would kind of get jammed and, like, they couldn't function normally. So eventually, he started doing some research into this and tracked it down to a radio signal that was transmitting at a a very funky frequency, which he said was around 410 to 420 megahertz, 
And I don't know what that means specifically. <laughs> How do radios work? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Honestly, I'm like Bluetooth radios and Wi-Fi. Those are just I'll never understand. Yeah. But that's a whole different topic. Yeah. Well, the whole book is just filled with a bunch of like technical jargon about radio equipment and stuff. And I'm just like, I feel like you're just putting this in here to confuse me yeah. so that I don't actually. He be, just like... copy and pasted a radio yeah. manual. Because <laughs> he there. knows no one's going to read into that. <laughs> nope. So. But this frequency would be cast out from the same point at the same time every day, and he tracked down the point that it was originating from and found that it was the Montauk Montauk base. So he was going to go and inquire further, but the security there was pretty tight, and so he decided to just kind of abandon that for now. But a decade later, someone told him the base was then abandoned, and he should maybe go check it out. So he went and visited the base and found a bunch of abandoned radio equipment. And being a collector of that kind of thing, he inquired through the proper channels about maybe buying some of it. So he calls all these agencies and they pretty much tell him that there is no owner of that equipment. And the military claimed they had no knowledge of any of that equipment. So they said, finders keepers. Basically, yes. (laughs) So he... Talked to this one woman. She transferred him to an, uh, another guy, and the guy was like, here, I'll give you this unofficial piece of paper and take you there myself, and then you can take whatever you want, but then you can never come back. <laughs> it was in crayon and said, I can do what I want. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. This is not a... And like, Signed by Dirty Mike and the boys. <laughs> Preston, like, in the book, talks about He's like, I went there, and then the more I looked at this piece of paper, I realized this was not, like, an official document at all. So mm-hmm. I don't know how well this is going to go if we do get caught but they told him that he could pretty much take whatever he wanted but that he couldn't come back so he was scavenging the base with a friend of his and they split off into two separate ways and preston apparently ran into a homeless man on the base and the homeless man said that there was an event that had occurred there 10 years before no no last year sorry an event that had occurred last year where everything on the base went crazy And that was when the whole entire place was abandoned. And the man also had more to say to Preston. And the second thing he said was a little peculiar. He said that he knew who Preston was. And not only that, but he used to work for Preston on that base. So Preston got a little weirded out by this and left this strange puttering homeless man and returned to his friend named Brian the Psychic who did a psychic reading of the base and told Preston that there is something about mind control and a large beast. <laughs> so they both, and then at that point, they grabbed whatever equipment they could and backpacked it out of the base. <laughs> That's just quite a tale. I mean, <laughs> imagine just going to like the spooky abandoned army base and then you just happen upon a hobo mm-hmm. who then tells you, oh, hey, boss. Like, <laughs> yeah. What uh, do you mean? Wait. Like, I was your boss. I clearly didn't do a, that well of a job. Things went way wiggity, man. And- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like, yo, that was a whack. It's like, whack? Is this the 70s? That was wild. Mm-hmm. So after this, Preston went around Montauk, the actual town, and asked locals about the base. And they told him that there was a bunch of weird weather occurrences and animals started behaving weird. And then he went to go talk to the police chief, and the police chief told him that there was a random two-hour period where crime would spike and then virtually disappear altogether. And even when he would go to different vintage radio equipment conventions, which, does that sound riveting? Exciting. Where do the, like, 
Are those just held at the Ramada down the I, street? <laughs> Where do those even get held? I, I think it was called like Ham Fest too for like ham radios. Oh, <laughs> probably at a radio station, maybe. Not a single piece of meat to be found. Ironically. Oh, there's probably a lot of meat. Yeah, <laughs> all <laughs> too, dudes. Too much meat. All dudes. <laughs> but while he was at these conventions, people would continue to recognize Preston Nichols and say that they knew who he was. And this is kind of how Preston realized that maybe he was a part of something that happened at Montauk Base, and it was his job to try and figure out what he was missing in this puzzle. Yeah, so you see, like, the wheels are turning, like, in this conspiracy for Preston. He's running into people that I assume he's never met before, that he knows of, or that he doesn't know of, I guess I should say, and they are all, all recognizing him. So, in his mind, he's thinking that he's just kind of... Has a mental block, if you will. Pretty much, mm. yeah. You following, Marshall? Yeah, I am. Yeah. I'm, I'm, we're, I'm we're not at the crazy parts yet. Yeah, we're not even at Th- the crazy this, parts This is yet. just Preston Nichols' life. <laughs> yeah, this is just another day in the life of old Preston. <laughs> so, in 1984, after he had scavenged Montauk Base and f- started realizing people were maybe knew him and he didn't know them, uh, a man named Duncan Cameron just kind of showed up at his house and came through the back door of his lab and started like asking him stuff about a piece of audio equipment that he wanted fixed. But he kind of became engrossed by the psychic work that Preston was involved in at the time, and he kind of Duncan kind of proved to be adept at psychic work himself. So at this point, Preston's friend Brian was like, I'm Audi 5000, and Preston was like, This might be too good to be true, but we'll run with it and see what happens. This guy could just be a kook. Duncan just came in and bent, like apparently bent a spoon with his mind. (laughs) Like the Matrix, yeah. Yep. (laughs) Which the Matrix comes into this later pretty much. Oh, (laughs) Oh, yeah. So Preston decided, well, this guy's pretty psychic. I'm going to take him to Montauk since I've been meeting all these weird people that are somehow involved with Montauk and myself. And when they got to the base, not only did Duncan recognize it, but he knew the layout like the back of his hand. And once they walked into what they called the transmission room, Duncan started spitting out facts about the base like he was in a trance. Eventually, Preston shook him out of it literally, and then Duncan had a realization to who he really was and what his purpose was meeting Preston Nichols. He was supposedly programmed to befriend Preston Nichols and blow up his lab and his research. But he had broken through the mental block and now wanted to help Preston clear up the details on his involvement with Montauk. And not only was Duncan a part of the Montauk project, but he was also involved 40 years earlier in the Philadelphia experiment. Right, so apparently like Duncan is almost like a sleeper agent, huh. if you will. But he's 31 years old. Yeah. <laughs> huh. So how does that work, huh? Yep. <laughs> So the whole story with that, which we'll talk about if we do a Philadelphia Experiment episode, but apparently they just took Duncan's soul, put it in a 12-year-old boy, and then they're just like, all right, you have a new body now. What the fuck? But there's already a person's soul in that body, and they never say like, yeah, that guy got a new body too. We just kind of right. gone. And that is actually part of just my research, and this comes from Krishna.org. There is actually a, let's call it loosely scientific theory it's called soul theory where it's very it makes a lot of sense uh from like a religious aspect where your soul is like the driving force of your body it's basically your body is a cocoon and the soul is the main driver 
Then when you die, it goes into the apparently one of the nearest fetuses around, <laughs> and then you go from there. And with the soul, like apparently that's like a huge power source, if you will. Yeah. And so we'll get into a little bit yeah. like how they run machines. It's actually soul power, and that's not a joke. This They're is straight off of this souls website. Here? Basically, yeah, huh. like Dark Souls. Oh. Bring up video games again. Oh, there you go. Loose scientific fact, everybody. Loose. <laughs> Very loose. Quite loosey-goosey. So, now with Duncan on board, Preston spoke at a United States Psychotronics Association in Chicago in 1986, and pretty much him and Duncan's told them what they had discovered and now that people knew who Preston and Duncan were, now that they were kind of like on the map, so to say, people had heard their story, they felt like they would be better protected from whoever was out to get Preston for his his dubious research that he wasn't supposed to be in. So after this, they felt a little safer and continued their investigations by contacting a senator who he doesn't name in the book. But then on Coast to Coast AM, he just comes out and says his name was Barry Goldwater. No. <laughs> so, so he didn't really keep that secret very long. The senator was apparently an Air Force veteran, and they had some interest in why this Air Force base might be active again. And he began looking into pretty much who was fun, like where was the money coming from for Montauk Base to still be operational after 1969. So he pretty much found no answers and told Preston, like, don't talk about this to anyone until we kind of figure things out because I don't want my investigation to be compromised. Mm-hmm. So just just keep it a little tight-lipped. So Preston pretty much at this point decided to try and break his own memory blocks through his own investigations. And Duncan was going to help him. Uh, but Duncan pretty much just told him, yeah, you're living on two separate timelines, my brother. You're jumping from plane to plane <laughs> which of existence. Just like... What a culture shock that is to your entire lifestyle. Yeah, that's uh, just to be told that you're a dimensional traveler. Yeah, bro, you're living two lives right now. He's just like, I was an electrical engineer a year ago. Yeah. (laughs) Well, he still technically is. Well, yeah, but like for, yeah. Yeah. So Preston was like, well, I could try hypnotic regression, see if I can uh, unblock some of these hidden memories that way. But he's like, nah. So he just decided to go do it on his own. Pretty much played Blue's Clues at work. So he he pretty much begins to explore his workplace at this unnamed defense contractor that he worked for to try and find out some, some things about what he may have been doing before. So he says he followed what were his gut feelings and eventually found that there was one room that made him nauseous whenever he went near it. So, <laughs> in, the, in the other plane of existence, that's just the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> smells like shit in here. He always, he always went in after a guy named Big Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just had some sloppy joes. Oh, he, uh, he mm. comes out and just gives a whistle and nods his head <laughs> no. <laughs> so, Toilet humor tonight. Yeah. Solid. Yeah, yes. That's pretty crappy. Loose scientific facts. Okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, loose stools? Like. Loose. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind. So as Preston went around and found this room, he tried to get into the room, but he found that it was locked to all but 10 people who were allowed inside. So this is high security room. And two of the people that he found out that were allowed in that room said that they weren't able to talk about what was inside. And then eventually security tracked him down and said, why are you asking about this room, dog? 
He's just like, okay, never mind. So a year later, he walked past that same room because the door was wide open and saw that the room was empty, but there was an elevator in the back of the room. So he stepped into the elevator and saw that there was two buttons on it, one for the main floor and one for the subfloor. So he pushes the button for the subfloor and then it asks for a code and he's like, I don't know the code. So he just pressed random numbers, then an alarm went off. 6969. Nine. <laughs> so security comes and escorts him out. Imagine at, you're at work and there's just this guy just setting off alarms in elevators. <laughs> yeah. And like asking you about this secret room <laughs> that apparently makes him sick. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you don't understand. I need to be in this room. I don't know why. <laughs> it's just my gut feel. I'm living on two separate timelines right now, man. Yeah. <laughs> How would you feel? Trying to explain that to a security guard who's like, I don't get paid nearly enough for this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so after the alarm in the elevator incident, Preston started to notice that there was Band-Aids appearing on his hands out of nowhere. And he eventually surmised that this was his alternate timeline self getting hurt moving, <laughs> moving radio equipment. And the Band-Aids were showing up on his body in his current timeline. <laughs> Are we sure he just didn't have early onset like dementia or something? He might. He. <laughs> That's one possibility. <laughs> he literally goes into the nurse. He's like, "Did you put a band aid on me earlier?" And she's like, "No." He's like, "I got band aids on my hands." She's like, "Why are you asking me about band aids?" <laughs> I'm in the wrong plane. <laughs> and of then existence. security shows up. They're like, "Why do you keep asking her about band aids?" <laughs> You think that's strike three? Like, I can't believe he's still wor- he's working at a defense contractor. I'm watch- sure there's firearms somewhere. <laughs> His bosses are watching him just like, I know he's trying to figure this out right now, that we're like some secret government organization, but man, is he stupid. It turns out it's actually just like a J.C. Penny. <laughs> <laughs> he's just like showing up in clothing racks and stuff. Right. He just pops out of like the pillow set. Oh, man. <laughs> so after this, he says he began smelling weird smells. Doesn't elaborate on that. And then finally, one day, Preston walked past the security guard in the basement of the building, and he's just like, I want to go in here. And the security guard's like, okay, and gives him a badge with his name on it. So then he walks into the basement and finds this room with a desk in it, and there's a plaque on the desk that said, Assistant Director Preston B. Nichols. So Preston, at this point, is like, okay, well, this was obviously my desk if it's got my name on it. So he goes up to the desk and looks at all the paperwork. And he says he committed all of it to memory because he spent six hours in there because he knew he couldn't take the paperwork out, which if you just disappear from work for six hours, I don't think that's just going to go over with your bosses. Then you're going to be like, I was in the secret room in the basement with my old desk from my secret job. The next time I ever just leave work early, I'll just drop a, I was in a different plane of existence. It's <laughs> in the other yeah. timeline. Yeah, I wasn't so. napping. I was in a different plane of existence. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> right. <laughs> So he commits all this paperwork to memory and then goes back the next day and finds that the security guard is there but won't let him pass. And then his boss shows up and is like, what are you doing down here? Preston's like, I want to go see my desk again. His boss is like, there's no desk. I'll go show you. And he goes in the room. There's nothing in there. So at this point, they pulled Preston in and they're like, can you just like stop talking about this nonsense? Because it's kind of just like, first of all, annoying. And it's like mm-hmm. kind of ruining things. And then they're just like, you know what? We'll just lay you off. You you can just <laughs> go stay at home for a while. And just to clarify a little bit, um, 
he's not doing this at the satellite place, right? It's like separate. No, this work is like at his work. Right, yeah. It's so it's like not where it's not like at the actual radar base. Base. Yeah, this is not at. This is at like base. a separate place. Yeah, so right? this is at like a workplace. <laughs> yeah, this is just in a random office. Some like government contracted defense organization. Yep. Like, like Lockheed Martin or something. Right. So after he gets laid off, he begins working on what he called his Delta T antenna on his home that was going to connect to his lab. And Delta T stands for Delta Time, and it was designed, as he said, to bend time. So he said while he was working on this Delta T antenna, he suddenly had this flood of memories and remembered everything about the project that he worked on, which was the Montauk Project. And he said the reason why all those memories came flooding back is because he bent time while setting it up, and then the timelines converged, and he just had all the memories from both timelines, apparently. So, See, now there is a little bit loose of scientific loose fact. scientific facts around, like, <laughs> I don't think we'll get into it now, but just with what Neil deGrasse Tyson, I've listened to a bunch of his conversations about time travel and just what time is, and that... Technically, time is subjective because we're all, quote, like his words, prisoners of time. Yeah. Um, so that does leave the potential for multiple timelines as well as kind of like, it's not like when I say, so he also talks about like an anti-universe. <laughs> this is how I felt Meaning anti-gravity, <laughs> not like everyone in the anti-universe is bad. Yeah, that's kind of all I had for this point in yeah, science. And part of that too, what Preston talks about on Coast to Coast, and which I could more believe than most of what else he said, is like the multiple reality theory, where there's just different realities that are like us, like maybe brought on a different time, or they're just like slightly different than the timeline we live in now. And maybe sometimes you just like blip. It's like the glitch in the Matrix thing where you blip into like a different timeline for a little bit and then come back kind of thing, and you don't really notice. It's just like mm-hmm. some things are a little bit off, right? Which I I buy into that theory more than like hmm. I just bent time and made my own reality kind of thing. But yeah, it's what a do I extreme? What do I know? So at this point, we're gonna go into what Preston remembers as the entirety of the Montauk project. So according to Preston, back in 1940, there was a man named Wilhelm Reich who discovered a type of energy known as orgone energy, which was pretty much cosmic energy. And this type of energy existed in what is known as the ether, or an invisible substance that serves as a medium for radiant energy and light. So this is pretty much like an invisible energy that permeates through everything that we see and is the reason why we can like see light and all of like that type of energy. And it's pretty much where a lot of people say that f- like quote-unquote free energy could come from, whereas mm-hmm. if you can tap into this invisible ever-present substance that you could just use that to power everything. Mm -hmm. So he apparently, Wilhelm Reich was apparently able to use this energy to manipulate the weather and even break up storms. And this technology that he was working on, which I believe was called Radio Sons, was the beginning of what was known as the Phoenix Project, which sought to take the projects of the Philadelphia experiment and figure out how to make sure that humans weren't affected, which will, as we know, become the Montauk Project. 
So it was discovered that people had their own time signatures based on their birth. And this is kind of what Evan was mentioning earlier. So their soul was essentially put onto a timeline of a natural clock based on the Earth's electromagnetic field at the point of their birth. Do you understand that kind of? Ah, you know, I feel like I'm back (laughs) in high school and I'm like trying to understand things and I just can't. (laughs) Trust me. It took me like... I. I had to listen to that episode of Coast to Coast like four times to try and even like partially understand this. Right. You have to read that sentence a couple times yeah. to like yeah. grasp it. Yeah. But it's soul energy. Yes, exactly. So basically, your body has its own natural time signature once you're born. And then if that gets disrupted, that's what's causing these people on the ship to go crazy because they're getting thrown into a different time and their reference point that they're used to is thrown off. Okay. So that's basically what this says. So once they get separated, pretty much just lose their minds in what was referred to as the bottle effect of the USS Eldridge. And the bottle effect is pretty much when you bend those electromagnetic and radio waves that are around the ship that you want to pretty much divert to make it radar invisible. Mm -hmm. And you bend them enough that it creates a rip in time. And then that's how the ship teleported because it created a, a wormhole in space time. And then that's when everyone's bodies got separated from their quote-unquote natural clocks. Right, because you're quite literally breaking the laws of the universe. Exactly. And so by this theory, your soul is basically thrown into whack. Yes. Or into the middle of a sheet of metal. It's kind of <laughs> like, it's like an extreme version of jet lag. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Someone would say ship lag in this case. but oh, Okay. Yeah, this is very... Science fiction yeah, I can see how you get a TV show out of this. Yeah, it's yes. super cool. Yeah, yeah, because as we go along, you'd like just imagine that the people that we're talking about doing a lot of this stuff, just imagine them being eleven and you'll like kind of understand what we're talking about. Eleven from Stranger Things. Yes, for from Stranger people Things. That yes. May not know. So from there, all of this experimentation was taken to a place known as Brookhaven Institute to study this human factor that was involved in all of these projects. And the government kind of wanted to know more about this so they could end wars by theoretically flipping a switch and then making the enemy surrender because they could control pretty much how they felt or their thoughts in general. Mm-hmm. Which, Literally rip their souls out yeah, put in a different plane of existence. a pretty powerful thing to be able to do. Yeah. So they opened up the old Montauk base and staffed it with military, government, and private contractors like Preston Nichols. And this this base was perfect because of the giant radar known as the Sage Radar satellite that projected these he- frequencies that they needed pretty much. And this is the the radar that was set up during World War II because this whole base was set up as like that seaside town and disguised because they thought that if Germans were going to make a mainland attack on the United States, they would come through here because that's where the U-boats would have the easiest accessibility and all that. So they pretty much set this up to be like a warning site. And so this giant satellite was sitting there that they could just now use freely. The funding for this project was supposedly from a bunch of captured Nazi gold in World War II. And then after that ran out, which it was like $200 billion worth of gold, uh, apparently that ran out, and then there is a German munitions manufacturing family known as the Krupps who took over after that. So 
1971, it was found that when radar frequencies would be changed and pulsed throughout the base instead of having a constant frequency, it would pretty much change people's moods on the base. Like people would start acting either sad or happy, depending on what the, the different frequencies were. So eventually they set up a building with the chair in it where they would literally strap someone in and then they would aim the radar at this person and test out different frequencies with huge amounts of power, like megawatts of power behind these signals. And depending on what frequency they used, it would make people cry, laugh, get agitated. But they found out that the way they were doing it was doing physical damage to people's bodies. And by the time Duncan Cameron met Preston Nichols, he was apparently so damaged from these different radio transmissions and stuff that he had enough damage to make him physically brain dead. Yeah, and there's actually, <clears throat> excuse me, in my research, just about like radio frequencies and like just similar issues like this. There's actually been several attacks using radio frequencies on American ambassadors and actually the most recent supposed documented case of this happened on April 20, excuse me, happened in the summer of 2020 and happened to Joe Biden's uh, director of national intelligence. And from just a, her story in like two seconds, she was walking downstairs on the on like white house grounds when all of a sudden she felt like her brain turned off. Like she woke up like mentally woke up like 10 minutes later with like a pounding headache and a lot of stuff. And, Actually, to go back a little bit more, in 1996, a National Security Agency officer, was, his name was Mike Beck, and his colleague Charles Gubiti, I am the worst with names, <laughs> you, you assigned me to explain the law of relativity, and I can't, I can't, say, <laughs> not, I can't say names, um, but they were targeted uh, with similar attacks, and they both suffered from early onset Parkinson's without like any previous conditions yeah i think it's called havana syndrome which is just like yes yeah, yeah that's you, that's also the other case because yeah. there was a big thing at a, like a i think it was a conference in havana mm -hmm. where like a bunch of heads of state pretty much said like yeah we just randomly got like terrible headaches and like nausea and stuff and had to leave the conference because we couldn't mm -hmm. couldn't stay there and it was u.s personnel that were assigned to cuba and china so it could, happens. <laughs> could, could be it. Yeah. There's there's some science behind like sound weapons do exist. So there's yeah, this there is some actual basis for Duncan Cameron being affected physically by this, because if you pump a lot of different types of like radio waves and electromagnetic like pulses at someone, it's going to damage their body eventually. I'm just thinking, sorry to backtrack again, but just with the Havana incident, like Cuba's just so sick of the CIA trying to get Castro. <laughs> yeah. It's like, really, they used like poisonous squid venom or whatever, oh, like a poison suit to try to get them. Exploding cigars. Right. It's like, now it's our turn. Just insane. Mm -hmm. I feel like an idiot. I didn't realize, I was so, like, I was looking up that, that, Havana thing, and I yeah. wasn't even paying attention. And you <laughs> no, were talking about, you I feel were like too such lost a in the sauce, dumbass, right now. <laughs> no, it's okay. God. I felt like that all week trying to understand this whole topic. Feel that. So eventually, they figured out that there was harmful radiation waves that were pretty much being pumped with these electromagnetic frequencies. So they decided to blast half of that radi or the the harmful half of that 
wave into the sky so that it wouldn't affect these people and then focus the non-harmful radiation waves into the subject so that they could still do these tests. So they pretty much did the same thing that they did for like the Edgewood chemical testing where they told soldiers like you're going to be testing winter clothing or you're going to have like extra leave time. And then they just brought him to Montauk and told them, oh, no, you're strapping you to a chair and sending a bunch of different radio waves into you. So for science, <laughs> for science. yeah. <laughs> so after these tests, the, the people in charge pretty much found that they could use different hop, like hopping quickly between different frequencies and then pulse these frequencies into people in a certain way to actually influence their thoughts and make them think in a certain way. And in addition, they could like affect physical objects. Like there was a time where all of the vehicles on the base shut down at the same time and then came back online later. So at this point, they're getting physical results with this technology that they're finding. And according to Preston Nichols, the fact that they're hopping frequencies so quickly is the reason why it was like driving these people insane pretty much is because if you focus one certain frequency on someone, their body can adjust to it. But if you're continuously hopping between different frequencies and blasting them at, at someone at a high power, then it's going to like mess with your brain and your right. body's like equilibrium. So mm -hmm. in order to refine this technology to be able to actually control the mind instead of just making people feel a certain way, they created what is known as the Montauk chair. So this technology was apparently given to them from an alien race known as the Syrians from, you guessed it, a star system known as Sirius. So they used this technology from these supposed alien beings, which was pretty much crystals from the sounds of what Preston Nichols said, and created a program that took whatever thoughts the person in this Montauk chair was seeing and transmitted them through a bunch of computer systems, gave a dialogue reading of the thoughts, and eventually even gave visual pictures of the thoughts on the screen. It just makes sense that the power source is crystals. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was going like to say from aliens. Right, yeah, exactly. And then also the Montauk chair, not to be confused with the chair cheer. Completely Di different. <laughs> Very different. Yeah. So they grabbed a bunch of people who were psychically gifted, like Duncan Cameron, and they chose them to be the different test subjects to help get this chair fine-tuned and pretty much produce like consistent images and make them even stronger. So they would pretty much interface these people with the chair, and then their human time signatures that we pretty much talked about earlier would be the base for what these transmitters would do. And the people in the chair were referred to as witnesses because they were kind of the focal point for this entire thing. And they would just blast huge amounts of power through these different transmissions and pretty much use the technology to amplify whatever thoughts this person had and pretty much create an alternate reality based on those thoughts. This is where it's like the matrix. They right. would just take whatever thought this person had and they could amplify it to a point where it would become pretty much its own real thing. Yeah, basically if they focused hard enough, they would almost manifest it, yes. right? So it's using literal brain power and then, I guess, by extension, like soul power, like they mentioned, Yeah, to make all these things happen, to control minds, open rifts in the universe, et cetera, et cetera, you know, your typical Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, and just a side note, aside from the Syrians 
being in contact. Apparently, Preston Nichols said that there was like the typical gray aliens just chilling there. And then there was reptilian aliens there, too. And he's like, yeah, there's this old episode of Star Trek where they, they battle these things. I don't remember what they're called. I think they're called like Crocs or something like that. Crocs? And it's just like these like really bad reptilian masked people. And he's yeah. just like, yeah, they look like that. I'm like, ah, I don't know. I feel like you got to have a little bit more detail than that, my man. And we're talking about extraterrestrial life. Yeah, it's kind of important. Mm. So this was how they planned to fix that human factor in their projects like the Philadelphia Experiment, where they would use the Montauk chair and whoever was in it to cast out an alternate reality that fit the same time signature as the people in the Philadelphia Experiment, so that when they went into that time space that they would have some sort of reference point to look at, and then they could manage to keep their minds in check by using that alternate reality that they created. All checks out over here. Yeah. I completely understand. <laughs> so basically, to kind of explain that more, they're trying to use like the same, or the previous state of the Philadelphia experiments as a reference point to travel back in time. Is that no. kind of it? <laughs> So, wow. Okay. <laughs> so I'm trying to think of a good way to put this in terms of not time signatures and human factors. So imagine like you take someone who doesn't know anything about like, let's say China, and then you throw them into a room that's like all Chinese themed, everyone speaking Chinese, and they were not prepared to be in this room. That's pretty much saying like, I'm taking these people from the Philadelphia experiment, throwing them into a time that they don't understand, and now they're going to be really confused and go insane. Ah. So to fix that, these people, instead of when when they would take these people and put them into the room that's all Chinese-themed, everyone's speaking Chinese, instead of that, they would disguise that room as wherever this person would be from, say, an American room. So instead of that room being Chinese now, it's projected as American. So that's pretty much what they're trying to do here by creating that alternate reality is make something that these people on the ship can understand so that when they travel through, they see the same things that they would see normally. To help them not lose their mind. Yes. Okay. I even, did, kind, re- I even did research on this bad boy. Does that yeah, kind of so. make sense? Yes. That's at least how I understand what this is. Correct. They're making like a... St- it's a, stage. a safe, a safe spot. Yeah, for it's these a stage. They're putting to. out in a stage show so that these people have reference points right. to look at. So they they're in a familiar place. Yes, exactly. When what exactly happens when when that ship disappeared in forty three? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then they're putting in an image in that gap when it disappears. When those like sailors rip through time space, mm-hmm. they're te- like sending this alternate reality signal to that time. So that they're not going to come back and be insane when they come back. So this is pretty much their attempt to save people from having that happen again. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So we're kind of, we're not time traveling. We're like throwing an image back in time. Yeah. Like it's okay. Pretty much. Like helping these people out. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. I think Take a deep breath. I'm glad we got through that. (laughs) Take a drink of the beer. (laughs) Uh, Let me just... Yeah, needed that. Did you did you hear the antioxidants come right through the can? 
All right, so now that we're all back on the same page here. <laughs> on the same plane, if <laughs> so, you will. Yeah, I'm back on somewhat. my plane of existence. So after they finally realized that this was the, the key to what they were trying to do, they made a second edition of this chair using different Syrian alien technology, and they pretty much set up Duncan Cameron to be the one to use it because they said that he was the one that was in the first chair most of the time and did most of the fine-tuning on that one. So they said, well, he's pretty much our main guy for this. So as long as he's here and not like sick or deathly ill or something, we're going to use him versus other people because he's just better for it. So Duncan in the second chair was said to be able to visualize things in his mind and the chair would transmit that image and actually be able to manifest these the items that he would envision out of that background ether. So he could imagine an image of, say, an apple, something that he knew well. If he could visualize that strongly in his mind, it could physically appear in the room. So mm -hmm. now they're being able to manipulate that free energy in the background and use it to, as Preston Nichols said, precipitate objects into the real world. So sometimes the objects were purely physical and you could actually touch them, but other times they would pretty much be like a hologram image and would project in 3D imagery in the room, but you couldn't physically interact with it. So alongside all of that, they were also developing what they called the seeing eye. And with this technology, as long as they had like a sample of a person's DNA, such as a lock of their hair, Duncan would hold that in their hand and he could actually see through that person's eyes and feel what that person felt while he focused on it while sitting in the chair. So this, if you've seen Stranger Things, is like Eleven being able to go into that dark space mm -hmm. and then see where a person is. It's kind mm -hmm. of similar to that, except in this case, they're saying that Duncan was actually seeing through that person and he could physically like see what they were seeing and do what they were doing. That's not it, though. You could, you could do more. <laughs> oh, wait, there's more. Dun Duncan was a good good at this. Yeah. <laughs> so he could even project thoughts into people's heads and influence how they acted. So pretty much they said if he focused on someone and like sent his thoughts to them, that they would have a similar thought to whatever he was thinking. So then they would start saying things that he's thinking out loud in a conversation with someone else as long as he's focusing on them. And sometimes he was told to use that power to make people commit crimes in nearby Montauk. So this is where I was like, hold on, Preston, you need to, you need to just run that back for me. Because <laughs> he's like, oh, well, you can't blame Duncan for this because Duncan wasn't in control of his own decisions because they were making him go back to a primitive state of mind through sexual bliss. <laughs> I was like, okay. Uh sure what all happened on this chair <laughs> so apparently they're just making duncan feel real good he's just sh shooting loads no. everywhere <laughs> and just like oh, controlling God. people's minds and making them commit crimes at the same time <laughs> i don't know man duncan is he's a multitasker apparently <laughs> i guess but eventually these the images and stuff that Duncan was projecting were being projected either in the future or in the past. I don't know how it would work in the past, but like they would say like he would usually imagine like whatever time it was, that image like of the apple, say, and it would show up in real time. 
But now he was imagining that apple and two hours later that apple would appear. So he was now influencing things through time along with just making things appear out of nowhere. So at this point, the people in charge of the project were like, well, now we have actually achieved time manipulation like just normally. So we want to try and push this thing even further. So now they used alien technology from aliens from the Orion star system and set up another Delta time antenna like Preston Nichols supposedly did on the top of his house uh, alongside the Montauk chair at the Montauk base and set to work bending time. And apparently they used technology developed by Nikola Tesla called, a, or it was used to pinpoint the, what was known as zero time of the earth, which was a central time point that everything else revolves around and centers off of. I'm not going to try and explain that because I don't know. But this device, which was obviously known as a whirly gig, was used to work in tandem with white noise pulses. And for those of you that don't know, white noise is just like static noise. It's like every frequency put together pretty much. And that's what I go to. That's what I fall asleep to every night. Yeah. White noise. So they used pulses of white noise in tandem with this whirly gig. And they used that to bend time around the zero point. Don't know. The whirly gig. We're the, bringing you the uh, hard-hitting... The whirly gig. Sounds yes. like a Pokemon that I caught. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Go, whirly gig. Yeah. I was listening to an episode of Coast to Coast on the Philadelphia Experiment, and the guy who's like the main story figure in that, he was trying to explain time travel, and he was trying to think of what a slinky was called. And he's just <laughs> and and uh, eventually Art Bell's just like so a slinky, <laughs> and he's like yeah. And then the guy proceeds to the rest of the time he refers to it, call it a sleazy, a sleazy. <laughs> so he's like, now think about it as the sleazy. <laughs> and the whole time, I'm like how do how do you get that so wrong? <laughs> coast to coast is just a legendary. It, show. It's like so like inadvertently funny. <laughs> The so a sleazy, <laughs> like America's toy, like the slinky. Yeah, how do you, yeah. How do you Go mess call that it a up? sleazy? Well, you made it even more American. Yeah. <laughs> he got the great value slinky. Yeah, <laughs> it's right next to the uh, like Doctor Thunder. Or yeah, it is. yeah. So they were using this whirly gig with in tandem with Duncan, and Duncan was pretty much the best candidate after having already traveled through time during the Philadelphia experiment and coming from 43 to 83. So he eventually could focus on the time that he wanted to travel to and open a portal, which they described as a circular window that projected the image of the destination time. And those who traveled through that projection said that they traveled through what was like a vortex tunnel, pretty similar to like any science fiction movie you see where they travel through time. Where it's just like this swirling tunnel of like random color or whatever you want to say. So, yeah, this is really starting to sound like he's just pulling things from science fiction movies, huh? We're yeah. actually just in book four, <laughs> where it's legitimately science fiction. We're almost at the end. So, after difficulties with these portals drifting through time and pretty much not connecting back to the time that the person traveled from, they decided they needed to find a way to find anchor points for time travel. 
and they inadvertently found that August 12th, 1943, 63, and 83 were anchor points to the Earth's natural biorhythm. So, don't know what that means. Yeah, that's just a made-up word. It's just a, <laughs> that's just a thing they said. Yep. It's right next to the Hoosie Watson. But they said... That, the whirly gig. <laughs> they said that this meant that someone who could travel, could travel through time to any of these three dates... And then from that point could travel safely to any other time period. So basically, like, say it was 1971 and they wanted to travel through time to, like, 2006. They would go to 1983 first and then travel through time from there to 2006 so they would have a point to go back to. And then they come back and they show everyone the Crank That by Soldier Boy. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, I... I get that. I mean, I feel like that's like a science fiction thing. Like, well, we have to go when the stars align, which is on August 12th, yeah, 1943. pretty much. And that's why the Philadelphia Experiment and Montauk are connected, because that test with the ship took place on August 12th, 1943. Mm-hmm. So that was one of those Earth's natural biorhythm dates. Which would make sense if that's most likely the supposed first time that, you know, they used this type of technology and opened a quote-unquote portal. right. Yeah. So it would make sense. It would make it like some sort of anchor point, you would right. think. Mm-hmm. But yeah, at, up until they figured that out, they're apparently just sending people through portals and they were not coming back. So <laughs> go get them, champ. <laughs> Those people are just slapping <laughs> through the portal. <laughs> they're just yeah. floating out in, in the, the time waves somewhere. <laughs> oh, I can't imagine that's a pleasant ride. Just, it's, just, yeah. It's probably just like a limbo. You can't hear anything, can't see anything. Yeah, and you're Ooh. just stuck. Ugh. And time, like, doesn't move. Alone with my own thoughts for... Ugh. For eternity. <laughs> no, thank you. What's... Oh, here we go. Pop culture reference. What's Ant-Man? That? What? Oh, like an Ant-Man. I think oh. it's like similar. The movie. No. I think this kind of happens. Talking about Spongebob when... Uh... <laughs> when, when the squ- thing that's not real, Evan. When, yeah, right. when Squidward, he travels back in time, and then he, like travels in between time when he's in just that now i can finally be all yeah alone yeah exactly that episode <laughs> that's that's what i was talking about <laughs> ah yes I'm talking about spongebob so at this point they're like all right finally figured out this time travel thing apparently so they just grabbed tons of people off the street and said like you're gonna go through this portal and they some of them still got lost and never came back but apparently they were even using kids, which I'll talk about a little bit after this, because that's pretty much what the Montauk Chronicles documentary focuses on, is the what is known as the Montauk Boys, which is like all of the kids that they kidnapped, apparently, and tested on and stuff. So we'll come back to that. But all of these people that they would just grab off the street were apparently sent to the year 6037 A.D., for apparently no reason, because Preston Nichols is like, I don't know why they chose that date. I don't know what they were trying to figure out, but they all got sent to that date at the same exact time. And they were all told to report back. And the people that did come back said that they saw a golden horse statue with weird inscriptions on the base, but there was like no signs of life anywhere. And that's all that they said. It was just the Denver airport. And then they decided to take the golden horse image that is literally one sentence in the book and use it as the cover of the book. (laughs) I mean, it's a very strong image. It is. It's cool. It's yeah. got purple on it. I like purple, so I sure they didn't go back in time. It's just like the Trojan horse. I don't think so. Yep. 
But I just love that they just sent them all to this random date for just apparently no reason. Close like, to, they just decided to pick one. Right. Close to, like, 5,000 years in the future. Also good for them for thinking that, you know, climate change and global yeah. warming yeah. wasn't going to end this some bitch by then. <laughs> well, they said there was no signs of life anywhere, so maybe it did. Ah, that's true. Just, uh... Why a horse? Why who who decided to <laughs> yeah, build a horse? They were just like idolizing horses in sixty thirty seven apparently. So got that to look forward to everyone. Our horse lords. <laughs> so eventually, Duncan and others were even sent to different planets like Mars, and their goal was to find out about the man-made pyramid on the surface of Mars. And if you've ever seen the movie Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger, it's it's basically that. Yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of shit in here. I'm like, did I watch this? Did I? Did I see this? Did I play this game? Like, it's a lot of science. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of, like, I've definitely played this game before in some way or another. But That's why I said it's a conspiracy all-star game, because it's just, like, pulling from everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I even saw um, one of the YouTube videos I watched that apparently conspiracy theorists that, like, abide by this today think that, like, Obama used this type of technology. To go to Mars. To go to Mars in, like, 2012. Yeah. To basically convey with aliens to like not end the world or something like that. Yeah, that's badass. <laughs> or like a research project, something like that. I'm gonna go with the end of the world thing, a little bit more metal. Yeah, but... it's a little more intense. Yeah. So at this point, the people running the project were like, "Run that shit all day, every day. We're not turning it <laughs> off." So, so they just all the transmitters were going, 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 and I, I don't know what Duncan Cameron was doing if he was just sleeping in the chair. But they started it on August fifth, nineteen eighty three, and for a full week they were just running, running, running. And once it hit August twelfth, nineteen eighty three, which if you remember five minutes ago where we talked about anchor points, the uh, time portal connected with the Philadelphia experiment in nineteen forty three. So a portal opened, and they could see Duncan Cameron from that time period in that portal. So they kept Duncan from 1983 from seeing himself, because they're like, that's not going to be good. So at this point, Preston Nichols and other people in charge were like, all right, we can't like keep doing this, because not only are we like influencing people's thoughts in like not cool ways, but we're also like intervening in two timelines for the same person that could intersect. So this is probably not going to end good, and this is not ethical. And this this is is, is where we draw the line. Yeah, this is where the ethical aspects of this become questionable. Yeah, they're fine sending kids to 6037 (laughs) AD to go see us. For no reason. Right. They're fine with just sending them off to limbo. But now when when Duncan is a... Those thousands of hobos we grabbed off the street (laughs) that never came back... Yeah, fuck him. <laughs> yeah, but when old Dunky Boy is in a little bit of trouble <laughs> yeah. meeting himself, like that's but just it, called like having a conversation with your subconscious. Yeah. So apparently Duncan was like one of the guys that was kind of leading the arguments for like why they should shut down the project. And there's just a coalition of people behind the scenes that were like, We need to figure out a way to stop this. So they came up with a code word and eventually if they ever wanted to signal Duncan to stop the project while he was in the chair. They would just go up to him and say, the time is now. And at this point on August 12th, that code word was told to Duncan while he was in the chair. So at this point, he lets loose, quote, a massive hairy monster (laughs) from his mind, which just appeared in the middle of the base and went around ransacking the base, destroying equipment, 
everyone was terrified and some people said that it was like nine feet tall other people said that it was 30 feet tall and then Preston Nichols is like but I can understand how they got the different heights because when you're scared you're not thinking clearly I'm like I'm pretty sure I know the difference between nine and 30 (laughs) feet though it's like a three-story house versus like a basement yeah (laughs) right I know the difference between a tent and the uh, like Eiffel Tower yeah it's a little different but apparently this thing was just ransacking the base. And so at this point, all of the people in charge were like, all right, we need to shut down the transmitters so that this thing stops and like doesn't destroy everything we've worked for. So they told Preston, like, go figure this out. And for whatever reason, Preston was the one in charge of destroying like all of the equipment. And he even was given an oxyacetylene torch that he and he was told, like, go cut all the power lines. So Preston Nichols, this radio engineer was just like out running around with this flaming torch cutting power lines and eventually the portal finally closed and the monster disappeared and after this event the project was officially shut down and the base was cleared out and according to Preston teams of he called them black berets I don't think I don't know if that's even a thing but green well I mean if they were a thing we'd never know about it (laughs) Sure. I looked up black berets on Google and they're like, army people wear black berets in different branches. I was like, yeah, this means nothing. Yep. But teams of black beret personnel took turns going through the base and cleaning it out. And then eventually a cement truck came and filled all of those underground like bunkers and everything that they had underground with cement so that it couldn't be found or used anymore. So according to Preston Nichols in 1994 on Coast to Coast AM, the project was still running. They, he said they were doing work in age regression as well as viewing and tampering with future events. And according to him, the way that fut- going to the future worked is if you, you could view different future scenarios of, that, of a same time period, say like you wanted to go to the presidential election for whatever year, for 2024, you could look at five different scenarios for that same date and there could be different presidents on each one. So if you saw a president that you wanted, you would travel to that timeline, and then that would establish that timeline as real. So it isn't like a certain timeline until you travel to it, because then it becomes fixed, because you have sent someone to it. That's according to Preston Nichols how it would work, and that's how they would influence future events. As like an anchor point. Pretty much. Like that's once you step foot in that, reality then it becomes like cemented Mm -hmm. and then it it pretty much is like a predestined thing right so Mm -hmm. but he Preston Nichols said like I don't know how much of this was actually done because I was pretty much in charge of working all the transmitters on the base and stuff so I didn't get to see a lot of like the physical time travel and stuff he was on the ones and twos pretty much So Montauk Base, or otherwise known as Camp Hero, which is the state park, is now sitting abandoned and derelict and has been for years. The gates are still shut and locked, but there have been some who have ventured inside and explored. No physical evidence of the claims of Preston Nichols and others involved have been found, and Preston himself admits in the beginning of the book that his story is full of what he calls soft facts, (laughs) otherwise known as statements that cannot be verified by any tangible evidence but that Preston swears are not false. So whether you want to believe them or not is up to you. Just make it like a cool 
book, a science fiction yeah, book. You could have wrote a make, hell of a book. It doesn't help that this book is terribly written. Oh, but. oh no, really? <laughs> yeah. He circles through the same sentence in a paragraph like three times oh. and then moves on. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I mean, this would be a, just say it's science fiction, and it's literally bestseller. If it's a little yeah. better written and edited. Yeah, get, a, yeah. get like a good editor and just be like, all right, help me write this into like a 500-page science fiction novel. Right. This right. could have been Back to the Future before Back to the Future. Yeah. Well, I think back to – I think it was something with your an alien episode where like a guy would like say it was – like say it was kind of true, kind of not true, and you weren't – it was the, the Men in Black episode. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that, I feel like. Yeah. It, the dude that lived in his basement and three sexy aliens came and <laughs> yeah. gave him the night of his we, life. Went to Antarctica with him. Yep. That was a while ago. Holy Yeah, God. it was. So, as I said, since the initial first book, the series is at five. Uh, the latter books are dubbed as fiction, but he swears by the originals being nonfiction. But most people who have researched this outside of Preston Nichols agree that this story is easily debunkable because there's literally no evidence to solidify any of these statements besides the fact that not Montauk base exists but regardless it's pervaded throughout the years there's still people that believe in it I mean Stranger Things is based on it 11 is like pretty much one of the test subjects for Montauk and the show was originally called Montauk Mm -hmm. but they had to change it because of like a copyright issue so that's pretty much the story of the Montauk Project, according to Preston Nichols, which is either the world's most incredible cover-up or a giant mishmash of science fiction tropes written by a man who wanted to be more than just an electrical engineer. <laughs> so, Honestly, love it. That's Preston Nichols' side of the story, but as mm. I mentioned earlier, the Montauk Boys thing. So Montauk Chronicles is one of the main focuses is a man named Al Bielik, who is the main player in the Philadelphia experiment, then Preston Nichols himself, and then a man named Stuart Swerdlow, who was apparently one of the Montauk boys. And he pretty much said like they did MK Ultra style tortures on kids to break their minds and then strap them into the Montauk chair and stuff to like tell them to do whatever they wanted. And mm-hmm. that was pretty much like the story of the Montauk boys and the focus of the the documentary. So if you guys want to watch that aspect of the documentary, it's actually a pretty well done documentary. Like they got actors and did pretty cool visuals and stuff. Hmm. But yeah, that whole thing is pretty much just like go listen to our MK Ultra series if you want to pretty much hear what that side of the story is about. So, but Evan, I know you've got some stuff on like actual scientific basis for maybe time travel. So yeah, well, I mean, a lot of it's basically disproving what this was yeah. all about. <laughs> so, I mean, like, there's some really incredible imaginary, loosely based on science things about time travel with the Montauk Project. Like, with real time travel, and this is from Neil deGrasse Tyson. Let me say my sources because, I mean, anyone that's ever listened to me talk on these here radio waves probably heard... uh me mention, oh, I'm going to be talking about, you know, general relativity, and probably said, this guy, are you, <laughs> you are... can't even say the word tecumesh, or tecumseh, I mean, it... <laughs> <laughs> like, the focal, yeah, like, you get it, listen, he mispronounces every listen, word. Listen, we're podcast hosts, not scientists. As you could tell, but. Do we need the Italian music? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we always need the Italian music, but long story short with time travel it really is all about energy but most importantly speed so neil degrasse tyson 
basically outlined to travel forward in time, you do need like an incredible amount of speed. Like we're talking not the drug. Not the drug, no, or well, whatever lightning, or whatever lightning McQueen was on. <laughs> speed, I am speed, but you need a tremendous amount of speed. And he basically equated it: if you wanted to go back in time, it's even more like power and speed. Basically, the same amount of two wormholes colliding, like which is apparently just how like existence started. So. Very long story short, time is relative to the person, like to yourself, because we all, we are all quote unquote prisoners of time, but to actually time travel and it's like move around a timeline, like it's left or right, up and down, forward, backward, whatever, you need an incredible amount of energy, incredible amount of speed that's just not available with. Any technology that we have, like, there is no power source that can do that. And he actually pointed out in the YouTube video that I watched another way to travel through time. Instead of focusing on speed, you actually need to get a spaceship that can somehow distort the gravity and space matter in front of it. Like, shrink it in front of it, and then shoot it out the back. (laughs) <laughs> kind of like um like hyperspace in star wars movies uh, okay, okay so it equates it to like that making sense like it's not in that case it's not about speed it's more about literally shrinking what's in front of you so you can go faster it's like say you have a mile long drive or like a walk whatever you want to equate it to and you basically just take the road and make it shorter using some technology but that technology does not exist well that's like well at this point that's i believe i've talked about it in the past like how there's a theory that the way you have like these alien ufos work where they have like instant stopping and instant like Mm -hmm. enormous speed is that they just like take gravity in front of the ship and like get rid of it so then the ship gets like instantly pulled into that vacuum of gravity and then that's how they can accelerate instantly and like stop on a dime right without jumping through their ships yeah so it's really about like distorting gravity to get there and like also he goes into so this article is from bigthink.com um he also goes into like the butterfly effect like with time travel which i'm sure everyone's probably heard of or a little bit familiar so basically saying like if a butterfly flapped its wings in the past when it's like it didn't before it could create a gust of wind to blow, like, cause a massive storm, kill a bunch of people, whatever. Or, like, if you stepped on said butterfly, that could also just change everything in the future. Yeah, like, if you went back in time, killed someone else, that person mm-hmm. doesn't exist in the future timeline, and then everything's mm-hmm. different. Oh, I have a... Can I go off on a little tangent? Of course. That's literally this what we... This whole episode has been a tangent. So, I, yeah. I forgot where I saw this, but... um. Let's say you go back in time to whenever. Yeah, exactly. To, I don't know when, whenever Hitler was born (laughs) and you got little baby Adolf and he's a two year old. You go back in time, shoot him in the face. Absolutely has that mustache on him, too. Yes. I mean, you shoot shoot him in the face, shoot Hitler in the face, no World War II. But you go back in time 
His parents are just sitting there. You just shot a baby in the fucking face. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, but, and then you're like, no, let me explain. No, what are you talking about? You just shot my child yeah, in the exactly. face. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. That's the whole thing. It's like people say, like, if you could go back in the time and meet one person, who would it be? It'd be like Hitler so I could kill him. It's like, yeah. okay, if you go try and kill baby Hitler, you're just killing a baby. Yeah, you're just if, killing a child. If you try and kill it, like, in power Hitler, you're just going to get killed immediately. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to work. And you can even argue if you go back, maybe like in that timeline, he doesn't become, you know, the worst yeah, person yeah. of all time. You change up the timeline. Now he's he's just a painter. You just give you just killed the, a painter. Right. You just give you just give his art teacher like a fiver. Yeah. And like say, let this, let this guy him. slide. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, between that and what I mentioned before with just shrinking gravity as well as just speed. um. The laws of science as we know them today kind of debunk this whole theory. Um, as we know, there is no soul energy in terms of scientific uh, powering of, you know, the Montauk chair or just any other use of like as a pure energy source. Yeah, the only thing that I can like, I'll I'll like give soul energy like a little bit of maybe credit for is like the idea that. It, like when you have a haunting or something like that it's mm-hmm. like usually there's some sort of traumatic event that happens there where there's like a very brutal crime or something where people lose their lives and then that kind of imprints on that location so then those people like you can see the like visage of those people in that location and they never leave that location kind of just like imprints itself there i could see something like that maybe being like oh that's part of your soul that gets like pushed out into this location and get stuck here that would make sense i mean based on soul theory it's soul is a power source and then when you see that little remnant of the soul it's like a light yeah or like and for the most part in like ghost shows like ghost adventures wherever whenever you see like a flashing ball of light go across like the camera yeah usually that's them then they usually say like that's like a ghost yeah basically but that's the that's the only credit i'll really give to that idea of the soul Mm -hmm. theory because i do think that like there's something that has to happen where like if there's there's got to be a reason why the same spirit is seeing the same spot all the time same clothing Mm -hmm. like that they're just imprinted from that timestamp onto this location and everyone sees it the same way oh yeah the timestamp ideas you know what i mean yeah but that's super interesting. Other than yeah. that, I don't know. I'm I, that's that's all my like wiggity whack ideas. Your that whirly I have. gig, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my whirly whirly, gig. Those are my whirly gig ideas. Does he ever explain what the whirly gig looks like? No. Ah, it's nope. probably it's probably got some doohickeys on it. Ah, uh, some some, <laughs> some curmudgeons. <laughs> let me see if I can actually some whatchamacallits. Yeah, some some bells and or whistles. But no, just like doing the general science research, it uh, was super interesting to see like the actual graph that. Neil Grass Tyson that kind of drew up of the two different universes. It's literally like a funnel. So like everything based on gravity, gravity has to move. It moves down, but it's just like constantly bouncing back and forth between these two planes of existence. And that's me filling time for Jacob to find the spot in the book. Oh, I found it. So this is the actual, this is the part of the paragraph from the book. Quote, A zero-time reference generator had already been constructed by Nikola Tesla in the 1920s. 
It consisted of an assortment of spinning widgets and rotating wheels. Colloquially, we refer to it as a whirly gig. <laughs> it is a strange device because when you turn it on, you can hear it lock into something. But we are not referring to the power line. I'm told it locks into the rotation of the Earth itself, which is a secondary zero time reference. It is secondary because the Earth's rotation is inertially related to the solar system, which is inertially related to the galaxy on down to the universe. The universe rotates around the zero time point. Now that is kind of So that's what I was reading. So there was an experiment done in the early 2000s where they scientists built two special clocks and one clock stayed on earth while the other was put on a jet plane and flew in the same direction as the earth's rotation and when it and i believe it's for like a day and when it landed and they checked the time the one that was on and they were set and like started at the both at the same time the one on the plane that was moving faster actually was a couple minutes faster which is very interesting. But did they use a whirly gig? Yeah. No. <laughs> Was it a whirly gig brand watch? I feel like I'm on an episode of Always Sunny where <laughs> one of them usually has like a profound point. I'm not saying that was a profound point, but like a, like a point Have to we make. Made, okay, we've maybe made two profound points this entire episode. We've maybe made two profound points this entire podcast Honestly, series. Honestly, and I'm sorry. I, I think I keep hitting my microphone during this episode because I just keep getting like so into the table. <laughs> but my, my favorite thing and what you can take away from this entire episode if you didn't take away anything. I saw Jacob open this book just now and the back of it, like the, the eye catcher says, go beyond science fiction so you can tell this is <laughs> factual. Yes. Yeah. And then there's like, this book is 156 pages, and like 20 of those are just random diagrams, and then just like drawings of people in chairs. <laughs> so, so you can you can see what I've been reading this whole week. I was man. reading this on a plane. I was like, man, if anyone asks, I don't even know how I'm going to explain what I'm reading right now. <laughs> is this the jet lag, or am I pulled into it? <laughs> Damn it, nickels or whatever the. All right, I think Nick. that's our signal to like end the episode because wow, yeah. Marshall's microphone. Just I hate fell. this mic stand. I hate it. Marshall, say goodbye to the people. I love you. I really had a pee. <laughs> that okay. is so funny. Can't believe that just happened. I'm sorry for the audio. <laughs> All right, so Mar- Marshall's gonna be out of commission for a minute, but uh, that was beautiful. Holy yeah, cow. I think we're gonna we're gonna end things there. I think we've we've destroyed your minds enough for the a week. The CIA heard us talking a little smack and. Decided to take his microphone, but th- I, this is a lot of fun. I, I, uh, that's why I love doing these conspiracy episodes. It's just, it's just fun. It absolutely is. Just lets us talk about a lot of different possibilities, and plus, it's also just a nice break from. Oh, definitely. The usual. Yeah, and it's also a perfect week because we have our new logo that we took a, a bunch ooh, of photos ooh, ooh. with Ryan Yatso, as we mentioned last week on the last episode. And we posted a few of them, but we uh, decided not to post this one until we decided on our logo choice. And uh, yeah, so thank you, Ryan, for taking the photos. And then we came up with the design afterwards on our on our own. Look at us, big boys. Look at that. And then, yeah, I think it's perfect for this episode because we got the uh, the conspiracy cork board, but it's actually got history stuff on it. Don't worry, folks. Yeah, I'll, like huge shout out, Ryan. I mean, the pictures turned out amazing, but also kind of funny that we did the photo shoot before we both went to Florida, but yep. like before we got tan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Honestly, I feel like if we were too tan in these, they just wouldn't believe the whole aesthetic of crazy researchers. Right. But if you want to see more of those photos that we took, you can follow us on our social medias, which Evan will now kindly give you the handles for. You can find us first and foremost on Instagram this time around. Start with that one. You can find us at gems underscore of underscore history underscore podcast. Then you can find us on Twitter at gems underscore history. You can find Jacob at Jacob from Wisco and then myself at whatevskis. And then you can find us on TikTok at Gems of History Pod. Yeah, and uh, one thing before we signed off that we wanted uh, to mention briefly because we know it's a big thing going on right now, but uh, to everyone over in Ukraine right now that is going through this perilous time in history, and we're recording this on the 3rd of March, so I don't know what's happened since this episode was recorded and between when it was aired, but... We hope that people over there are doing their best to stay safe, and if you want to support Ukraine, there's plenty of sources out there now where you can donate money, or I know there's a lot of, personally for me, there's a lot of metal bands that are making merch where if you buy it, they donate proceeds to the Ukrainian support fund. Mm -hmm. So there's plenty of different ways that you can support and also support an artist you like or whatever. So if you don't want to donate directly, find another way. There's plenty of stuff. Just... If you don't know what's going on, then you're living under a rock. But, I mean, yeah, it's crazy time in the world right now. We're just hoping that the people over there are doing what they can to stay safe and stay out of harm's way. And hopefully this will get resolved sooner than later and we can go back to a relative peace. Yeah, definitely thoughts and prayers to everyone over in Ukraine. I mean, it's honestly insane situation, especially with social media now, like... I saw a missile go through someone's house. Yeah, like, on Twitter. In On Twitter, yeah. Like, just hit refresh my feed and saw a missile go through, you know, a family of, I think, like, five, like, their house. Like, that's nuts. Yeah. But that being said, Ukraine has been doing a great job holding their own. Yeah. And Zelensky is a fucking boss. He's already, like... Dude's a heartthrob of the world now, so... Yeah, honestly, amazing. Like... And those that are in Russia, if you, I don't know if there's a lot of strife over there internally now with the citizens, they can't use their bank cards and stuff to do anything really. Yeah. So if you somehow aren't getting this podcast during all this, uh, there's, I know there's a lot of news censoring in country for you guys and maybe you're not getting the whole story, but just you guys stay safe as well. I know a lot of you are protesting, so Mm -hmm. that's a very bold move and we support you guys 100% in that, but just make sure that you guys aren't putting yourself too much in harm's way either. So mm-hmm. moral of the story, everyone try and do what they can to support each other. And hopefully this time will pass without any relative incident and relatively major incident. And then mm-hmm. we can go back to normalcy or mm-hmm. relative normalcy. But yeah, mm-hmm. on that note, a little, a little serious at the end of this fun episode, but mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all we got for you guys this week. We will be back next week and hopefully have some more fun topics for you. I know it's Evan's turn, so you're probably not going to get as much goofy space time travel nonsense. But You know what? Just because you said that, we're going extra goofy. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> but we will be back next week, guys. Everyone we'll see. finally do the origins of Moose. Yes. We love you all. Stay safe and talk to you later.